Welcome back to Real Professional, the podcast where air quotes real professionals talk to non-air quotes real professionals. We had some audio problems and a few seconds from the beginning of the pod are unusable so we made a blood offering to the machine god and they graded us a boon of text to speech anyways. Today we are joined by Thomas Grip of Frictional Games. Frictional Games is best known for their hit Amnesia the Dark Descent as well as other titles like Penumbra and my personal favorite Soma. And honestly, this is one that I've I've been wanting to talk about for a, a very long time. Uh, one of the the reasons I got into horror in my like more adult life was uh, the Amnesia series. And um, so yeah, I, I'm interested to hear what he has to say about the uh, upcoming Amnesia Rebirth. So, without uh, further ado, DJ, DJ, drop that sick beat. Beat drops. Hello. Hello. How are you doing all the way in uh in Sweden, correct? I'm, We're in Sweden. Yeah, I'm I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm from southern Sweden, close to Denmark in a town called Helsingborg. I'm doing fine here. Uh, slightly trapped at home, but that's like my <laughs> the, <laughs> how it's usually for me is I'm always at home working, so it, it's not much that a difference now. Overall things are very good, I'd say. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I was going to like, I'm glad that you said Southern Sweden, so I wouldn't have to like pretend I knew where things were in Sweden. <laughs> As an American, my my frame of reference for where things are in the rest of the world is very poor. Although I'm trying to learn Polish geography because I've been there quite a few times recently. Huh. And like all of the games are coming from Europe now. I don't know if you've noticed. Are they? Uh, some at least. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch. I'm always actually surprised by how many Swedish games. Like, there's like, a, is that a Swedish game? I didn't know that. There's tons of times that it happened to me with, uh, I didn't know certain things were developed in my own country, which is sort of weird, I guess. But yeah. Well, I mean, I was like, I was looking at the, the, the upcoming kind of release slate, and like, so many games are coming from Poland, and uh, like, a lot of the indie stuff that I'm really interested in. Um, and uh like I was um we were at PAX East recently and there was like a whole area for just Polish games and it was like nine indie Polish games. And I didn't see any other country having, you know, a booth of like nine indie studios that were there, you know, just specifically for that country. And I, I just I I find that interesting because it's like um it's a lot cheaper to produce games there than it is in, you know, like Silicon Valley or LA or something. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the. They also have, like, I think it's, uh, you know, good internet connections and overall, like, a climate where people like to start small businesses and stuff like that. I think that's at least in Sweden, that feels like one of the reasons why a lot of uh, internet companies have popped up here. but but yeah, it's it's sort of interesting that a lot of coming through. It's also interesting seeing. I know like Steam's biggest release this year was uh, now I can't recall the the game uh, the game's name. Sorry, it escapes me. But but it go on where you're riding horses and stuff like that. Um, their the developer there, if I'm not mistaken, is from Turkey, which is not like a country that you think is having a big development scene. Um, really? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, at least originally, perhaps they moved. Now I'm unsure what the, what the name of the game was. Damn it. Okay. Yeah, we'll hear the clackety clacking in the background of people googling the answer. Yeah, it has to be on, on the on the top here. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, Mountain Blade. We started mm. out interesting. Started out like uh, um, this in the same way as The Witcher did, which was like this sort of hacked together game by an unknown developer and uh, then then became sort of an underground hit which is now transformed into this like massive release it's really yeah crazy. well people have been it's waiting like... for banner lord for a really long time yeah i know that i know i was a, a mountain blade fan uh back when it first released like like you were saying it was like a hacked together kind of like weird it, it was it was almost like um Gosh, there was that wave of games that came out uh, probably five, six, maybe even seven years ago that was like these over-ambitious modding projects is the only way I could describe them. And it was like, in this game, you can do everything. You know, you live in this medieval world and you can you can you start off as a peasant, but then you can get uh, you can raise the ranks and eventually become your own king. And it's like it's always these really crazily over-ambitious projects that. And and I, I think that people really love that, even though there's a lot of uh, like jank to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I, I just. Uh, but speaking of over ambitious indie <laughs> studios, I I want to talk about frictional games. This is yeah. really really fun. Um, I just shot a video talking about frictional games and uh, indie projects. And the perception of indie, like it was like this, like think piece I did because I try to do this every now and then because I, I get tired of posting clickbait, and uh, <laughs> and and like the next day I got the email from uh, the your guys' PR representative being like, hey, they want to talk about amnesia and stuff, and I was like, fuck yeah, I guess the Google bots did something where they they took my information, <laughs> they sold it to some company that then got in touch with you guys, which is great, thank you, thank you the the lack of privacy of 2020. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, so I will tell you that the premise of the video was, um, that I've been trying to shoot an indie spotlight series where I talk about indie games and, um, I was going through my steam list, you know, it's like 1600 games at this point. It's like freaking ridiculous. And, uh, I was like trying to pick out which ones I would and wouldn't talk about. And it had come along across amnesia, the dark descent. And I said, oh, that's, that's too, that's not indie. That's too big. That's too mainstream that's too uh they had too much money and too big of a team and then i like looked into it i was like oh wait no they didn't (laughs) (laughs) we we, we certainly did not uh it started out it's yeah there's a lot of interesting backstory we almost like the 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 company went uh, broke several times almost during uh development just because we had so little fun starting out that we had to like well we we, we can survive like two or three months into the future and let's let's see see if we can get any money during that time and hopefully continue working on the game that was what life was like for like two or three years during the game oh god and that must i mean i know how hard that is living your life trying to figure out how to make the next two months work it's it's exhausting and but how did it feel when it all finally came out and i mean i know that in the first month it was only like 36,000 sales but it was like the first two years was when it got up to like 3.6 million or something like that in sales and like that must have been like a great feeling to like have it actually succeed when did you actually first off feel that it was succeeding when did it like hit you and what was that like um i I think that the like 
major hit for me was checking the Reddit front page and seeing uh, Amnesia memes on there. The, like, like that was not like a monetary thing, but it was just like, wow, this is... And, and I think that was like the second time I saw that. Like, this is... I think we have something out of the ordinary here, <laughs> um, uh, seeing stuff like that. So that was a super crazy feel. And then you, you got the sense that this is going to be like... Uh, much uh, much bigger than we thought it was going to be, yeah? and and it changed like so much for us from having uh, like like this. Um, as I said, going month for month almost, and to to having like like we got money because the the, the thing we thought when we released it was that well it's going to sell for like first month and then it's going to rapidly decline, but it's sort of stayed on that level and even like got higher as the games the word of mouth spread and uh we, we were like shit we have like a lot of money in the like you know in this like in, in the chest and then we're getting every month we're getting money that pays for all development costs and more so it was like like having an overflow of cash almost to, to from not having anything we was really a surreal feel to it um so, so yeah i think that actually had like a slight negative impact on soma because when you're an individual team one of your sort of, I think a really big driving point is that like, it's not fun not having money, but it's a really good motivator for taking yeah. shortcuts and really like, we have to figure out something interesting here of doing with this. And then when you like have all the time and money in the world, you sort of lose that. And, uh, and, and, and you sort of get, get a real, little bit too relaxed. And what's a bit of that at the beginning of uh, um so much then again then we spent so much time making that game that you know <laughs> we eventually started like shit we, we have to release a game soon and another way back to where we started um uh, as we hired more people and so on but, but 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 that was like one of the more interesting things that that you went there was such a big difference in just uh, um the sort of uh, money flow that we had that you actually 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 had a slight negative effect which is you know i wouldn't have uh, imagined it having yeah, no i mean i i get what you're saying though uh and that's that was kind of one of the things i've always wondered about is you know you have a team i think what soma was made uh, not soma uh amnesia was made by what 16 people um Amnesia was Amnesia was made by like four or five people. Uh, oh, it was Soma that was sixteen. Though. Yeah, Soma we were sixteen. <laughs> and and you you have this really small team, and all of a sudden it's like people now know who you are. I mean, I I my, the the first I had heard of Frictional Games personally was with Penumbra, but I think I'm one of like six people that in in the United <laughs> States that knows about it. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like now people. A weird experience sitting on a bus many years ago, and two kids, teenagers, uh, um, were talking about Penumbra. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> that was really. I, I think that was prior to releasing Amnesia. So it was a long, long time ago. But so it was like someone on his bus is is talking about our game Penumbra, which felt like a really obscure title. Uh, yeah. So that was really weird. But, yeah. But yeah, what do you mean? Though? That's, those, those games were not at all as well known as Amnesia or something. Well, 
and that's the funny thing is that um, I when I was doing the the video about the, the indie stuff, I was saying that you know the the definition of an indie game is like really up in the air. Like, there's no real definition of indie. It's just ba- it's basically a a feeling. Like, I, I have a sentiment about what is and isn't indie. And uh, technically, Amnesia would be more indie than Penumbra because Penumbra had a publisher, and indie means independent. Oh from- yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, but Penumbra yeah, it, like feels it, way more weird, indie. Like we, I've never, I think we've never called ourselves like an indie studio officially in any way. Um, I mean, we've had other people call it, and I don't have like anything against it, but it's not a label that we put on ourselves. I, I never felt like because I started making. It, it's weird. I mean, started making games in late '90s, and then like, if you weren't in a company with a publisher like that 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 was what you you how you made games there wasn't like really an indie thing going on and it was really nothing you know you didn't really sell your games i remember people like there are still back in that day when uh people like sending you floppy disks after game and stuff (laughs) like that that was like how you sold your indie games at that time, but no one called it uh, indie or anything. I'm not sure where, when the that, that uh, phrase was coined, but, but but in any case, so so going from that and then to to the period when like the the golden age of indies, um, like what was that like 2005 to 2012, yeah. 13, something like that. Um, then. I've I've never really felt like uh, you know as you say it's it's such a you know you can you can call there's a lot of things that you can call indie and not indie I know also some studios call over oh, an indie studio and we were like two hundred two hundred people or something like that and they call themselves indie because they don't have a strong publisher owning them and but they might have like a, lots of financers and yeah, whatnot yeah. So, so it's 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 a it's one of those terms that I think that a lot of when the indie golden age started, a lot of people wanted to cling on to and so on. Well, it's like, you know, you're thinking about the, uh, yeah, that term. It's like, but you had a game like Braid, which was like made by Jonathan Blow. And it's like, oh, it's an indie game because there's a single name behind it. It was just Jonathan Blow, his dreams and a million dollars. It's like, yeah, with a million dollars, I could probably get a game done, you know? <laughs> Uh, I, uh, nothing against, uh, Mr. Blow or, uh, Braid. It's just that, you know, and I, I really, like we were saying about what the timeline of what indie is, like that, that period of time, like when the Xbox Live, like Summer of Arcade kind of started, yeah. we started seeing games like Limbo and Braid and like Super Meat Boy and stuff. I think World of Goo was like one of the first indie games I remember. And that was because a uh, digital distribution kind of like kicked off the ability for indie games to exist. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a boxed copy of Penumbra around somewhere. Oh, wow. and that used to be how you got your your lesser known games as you went. Yeah, through a, yeah. I, I missed the box days. It was fine going into stores seeing your box there, but, but we had like a a small window of time when that that was a business that you you actually did. That was like big part of the sales at that point. But then yeah. it was a big shift with Steam and uh, as you said, Xbox Live and uh, eventually PS yeah. the, the PSN store and so on. Probably the coolest box copy of any game I own is a game called Evidence the Ritual. I think it was a French Never game. heard of that. It's this, it comes in, in like an evidence bag, like a clear, and it says uh. like evidence <laughs> on the front. And the game is like one of those games that was, uh, you had to like put in your name and your email address to register. And then the game would email you and it had a phone number you could call to like solve some of the puzzles and it would talk to you. It was like a really, really interesting 
uh, I, I don't even want to say indie because it was from an era where like indie didn't really exist. It was just a weird game. And back then, if your games were weird, no one knew about them except for <laughs> that hipster guy that was looking through the, the PC gaming section for the weirdest shit. Um, but uh, yeah, so you guys, you know, like you said, you never self-defined as indie, but you, you, you never really grew to the point. So you look at a, a company like Bloober Team. Bloober Team has like 90 employees now. And I will say that you guys make very kind of similar games. Um, yeah, I agree to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but, and then, you know, even like the, uh, well, I'm just going to stick with the Blueberry Team example because that's the easiest one, but you guys, I think you're at what, 25 employees right now? Yeah. Something like that. It depends on how you define employees, but let's say 25. Yeah, I, I, I know. There's always some like, you know, intricacies to it, but you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious. Why did you always kind of decide to stay so small? Is that, was that a conscious decision or was it a fine, like did you just because of how the fi- funds worked out? How did that? all come about mm. um it, uh, i think there's a lot of things so, so one thing is that we've grown extremely small and 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 there's and 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 i just like having it this small sorry by the way my kid is coming home so if there's any background noise it's, <laughs> it's that's okay not, you know where that's coming from um, we're, all, we're all trapped home right now everyone's used to weird noises in the yeah, background yeah sorry about it but um in, in any case um there's one where I just feel that it's like we have a fairly flat structure and always had, and that makes it harder to like expand because it, I, I, I like for the whole team to stay synced. Even like going from Amnesia to Soma, we was 15 people, there was a big difference in just making sure everyone was on board with things and explaining and keeping everyone up to date and so on. And like, it just feels like a nightmare to have a hundred or two hundred people to manage and be able to do do things like that. Um, another thing is that um, when it comes to like m- managing how we spend money and so on, I've seen other companies what they do is that oh we earned you know say ten million this year, we're just gonna grow so that our result of the year is zero. Nobody yeah. can expect that we can do. So I've, so, so I've seen a lot of people just doing that, like we're not going to give anything away in taxes, we're just going to use up all money. And what we've done instead is that I don't want to be in a business, and, and this might be like reflected on having like, like uh, lived on paycheck to paycheck for so long with the, making Amnesia and the other games, um, that I want to have security. That that's more important to me. So we always make sure that, like, if if for some reason all our games start stop selling tomorrow and we get no further income, we can still stay afloat for a year or so. Uh, and I, I felt that that was more the approach that we've been going. So also keeping this team small, just because it makes more sense. It's easier to do the games that we do, and that's. Uh, way and then also just uh, that, that it feels easy. I don't have to stress about so many things. Like there's enough in life to stress about. I don't have to stress about money and so on if I don't need to. Uh. Yeah, no, I mean that makes total sense. It's just funny because that's like not how things work in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm like listening to you talk about like your like like rational financial decisions and like wanting to like put them aside. And it's like that's so like very European slash like Swedish of you. And like oh, and the fact that you're like. 
you you want to pay your taxes. I'm like, that's crazy. No one in America does that if they can <laughs> if they can get away with it. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, that's like it, it's a great design philosophy too, and it's also like made it so that um, I've also felt like Frictional Games doesn't come out with games just to come out with games. Like it's like Soma came out five years after Amnesia, and it was like I, I felt like it had the time put into it that needed to to make it its own full game and then you know like uh with uh the sequel to amnesia machine for pigs um like you guys like didn't just decide to make a sequel because people expected a sequel you know like you 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 handed it off because you didn't i think i was reading an interview that said that the, the you like didn't have immediately like an idea of what you wanted to do with it and you weren't sure and um so you handed it off and uh i mean that's that's like a it's like a really adult way to do things that's that's just like something you don't really see very often. It's like the the common ethos would be, okay, well it's sold, so why don't we just like throw something together and shove it out the door, you know? Yeah, I, I think yeah, totally with uh, a machine. Uh, that's also like our because I don't like releasing a game every fifth year. We're trying to change that now, <laughs> um, and and with a machine for Pegasus, so, so like like shit, we 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 have we have the money to fund it like another project. I just just don't want to like hire all the people needed for it. So so handing it off to another studio felt like an interesting uh, thing to try out, and uh, and so, so we did that with the machine for pigs, and something that we may do in the future as well. We're not sure, but our like current idea now for not releasing every fifth year, but actually releasing games on a, uh, every two or three years, is to have two projects running at the same time. So oh, okay. that's the way that we sort of structure the studio. And it's the reason why we're actually twenty-five people now is because we need to have enough people to running one project in pre-production at the same time as we're running uh, one project in uh, production. Mm-hmm. And and just figure adding those roles and so on has been quite a bit of work. Yeah. And figuring out like like should we hire someone new for this? Can we train an existing member to do it and so on? And but now we're in a pretty good place, I'd say. So uh, one like we've managed to work a lot on Rebirth, and there's another project that's in pre-production now that's had several years of pre-production uh, to it. So uh, when Rebirth yeah. is released, we can instantly start uh, or almost instantly start uh, production on the other game so that should hopefully not take another five years until we release it yeah so what where did the decision to return to the world of amnesia come from um, so it started out with this two project thing. So we had uh, completed Soma, and we knew we, we wanted to start on uh, two projects uh, right away because there's no and split the team up into two, and one we wanted to have done fairly soon, and uh, the other could like take a longer time. And in order to get something done fairly soon, we needed we wanted to have some sort of certainty to it. And then it felt like, well, Amnesia, we know, like, there's some foundational elements to it. Like, you walk around a lot in darkness, there's some sort of sanity to it, you light things and so on. And uh, could we take that and build something upon that? And that was the sort of first idea. And then when we looked through it, it just felt like there were so many interesting things to explore left in Amnesia, especially um, setting-wise. 
Um, you just, for instance, uh, there's a lot of notes talking about things happening in a desert. But in Amnesia, you're just in an old, boring castle. Like you're never taking to these places. So we try and have a lot more environmental variety in this game um, in Rebirth. And uh, think that is like having that foundation, knowing what sort of game we're making, along with those sort of interesting things we could explore. What's what was made us take that decision? Yeah, I, I think that I've I've said for a long time that horror is a great genre for indie for projects that don't have a lot of budget because it's the only genre that you can use it to your benefit by taking things away. So with Amnesia, you had this idea of intrigue with, like you said, the notes talking about the desert, the expedition, and this evil that you brought back into your home. It's a really good way to tell a story in a horror game, not a great way to tell a story in, like, you know, say, Call of Duty. No. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. would be an interesting Call of Duty game. I'd buy that. <laughs> yes, you would buy that. Uh, the rest of America wouldn't. And, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's there's a very specific market for that. Um, but you know, but also, you know, we're talking, we're going to look at like. Uh, so the the decision to have the screen go blurry when you look at the monsters, um, and, and that really heightens the tension of the horror. Uh, it also makes it so that you can kind of fudge it a little bit and how they look when they're walking around, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you have the monster that was invisible. I've always wondered, the Karnak, uh, was it like... Was that because it's the it's called the Karnak, right? I'm I'm not. Yes, that no, was and the, the the writer came up with a name long after it was it was called the Water Lurker. I always think about it as the Water Lurker because that was the how we named the in-game files. Was it invisible right. originally by design or No, no, it, no, no, not <laughs> at all. It actually was a rip-off from, you know, in, in, in the first Star Wars movie, the, the first the real first Star Wars movie. Um, when they're in this uh, sort of waste dump yeah, thingy, and yeah. there's tentacles coming out of the waste. The idea yeah. was to have something similar coming out of the water, so you go there and tentacles start crawling uh, on, on boxes and so on. And then I was tasked with implementing it, and I was like, shit, I can't do tentacles. <laughs> and we don't have a budget to do do that. And like, what's the simplest thing I can do? Well, I have some water splash effects, so what can I do with that? So that was really how it started. And again, it's it's one of the like I think it's one of the more successful things we've done in a game, and and it, and and it was all because we had little time and little budget. That seemed yeah. in a lot worse if someone would have said like, oh, here you have like a team of animator and artists to set the scene up for you, and then we would have had tentacles, and it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting as it turned out to be. Yeah, no, I mean, the way it turned out is great, but that's the thing, is that with horror, like I said, is that you can fit your your limitations into the story as long yeah. as, like, you, you have the same sense of... Because the idea of horror is to instill a sense of helplessness in the player, the, the vulnerability, by removing mechanics, you can do that. I mean, Amnesia wouldn't be as good if you had fully fleshed out combat mechanics and an AK-43. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then... And, by re- removing, reducing the number of mechanics and instead focusing on singular emotive moments or powerful, like, uh, uh, kind of, uh, set pieces where it, it, it hits on a very specific kind of fear. And the, 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 the water monster is, is like such a great example of not only like the fear of the unknown, but the fear of having to put yourself in danger. You know, you have mm-hmm. to actively be the one progressing forward by putting yourself in danger as opposed to the rest of the monsters 
the goal is to avoid it. Yes, it's still to avoid it, but you have to, like with the other monsters, it's like I flee away from it. In this one, I have to continue on and try to figure out ways to get it. And it's just you're constantly have that sense of tension. And I, I just, and it's very basic. It's a very yeah. simple, like, kind of encounter. But yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's super simple. Like, in the, the best gameplay that comes out, out of, Waterlogger is a bit different, but overall, the gameplay that comes out from Amnesia is the user sitting, staring at a wall, listening yeah. to music to fade away. And, and that was intentional. It, we made a lot of design choices just so that you didn't have to go out and actually see the monster. You could, like, music starts playing when a monster is near, so you can just run away when you hear that music, and then you can just wait for that music to go away. So you never really, you can all let it all play out in your head. The, the problem with it is that it, it's it's sort of like a, a, a one-trick pony, so, so we can't, like, in Rebirth, we can't do that again. One is that we already did an Amnesia. It started to get slightly old by the end of that game. I think it sort of managed to stay somewhat okay for the duration. But uh, but if we were to repeat it again, and also especially since a lot of other games have had similar ways, it wouldn't be, in, like, it's not interesting. But at that point, um, when people didn't know what to expect and so on, uh, it yeah. worked really, really well. But I think you have to like consider those sort of simple things because if you if you try and do horror too complicated with too many mechanics it just ends up it, it doesn't become intuitive and you can't like emotionally attach yourself to it there was there's a lot of ps weird ps2 games it was called bleed how ill bleed blood for instance i think it's one of them which mm -hmm. has like a ton of meters that 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 go up and down depending on like heart rate or scared are you and right. is there a monster chasing you and all of these things that are meant to emulate this sort of survival horror experience that you get from a horror movie but what in it ends up being is just some sort of uh, excel sheet that you have to manage instead <laughs> of being an emotional journey so so you have the player can't be thinking in numbers. They have to like react, uh, you know, with with their gut through the experience, yeah. and and then being able to have still mechanics where players can still feel like they're playing something and still still having it that simple, and then still fitting it all into the horror narrative. That's like uh, yeah. the real challenge of it. So 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 mechanics are often extremely simple in a horror game and can feel like, you know, they're not really doing anything, but just getting in the right, everything attuned uh, in, in a nice manner is really hard work. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I get what you're saying about the not wanting it to turn into like a spreadsheet. Like, so uh, an example I use is, is uh, the first Dead Space. I think the first Dead Space is a, is a great game, but the moment it stops being scary for me is when I realize that on the difficulty that I'm playing with the gun that I'm using, it takes two body shots and then one headshot to kill the basic monster. And then the whole game becomes, okay, it's a calculation. Two body shots. Yeah, yeah. Shot, it's two an, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And especially it's interesting in horror games because horror is a little bit like roller coasters, which is that the feeling you're trying to emulate is not a pleasant one. So, um, because people are, like, it's not fun fun to be scared as, in the same way as it's not fun to fall off a cliff <laughs> sort of thing. So, 
people are very prone to optimizing this away if if they can figure out like if i if i close my eyes at this moment during a horror movie or so on it's not going to be as scary and, um, and and similarly in a game if you start thinking about it like oh i know that if i do this like the the, the monster is just going to w- w- uh, run around in circles and all of a sudden the scariness goes down and the interesting fact from that is that players like you can go in really wanting the scariest experience possible but players can still mess up the entire experience for themselves, like intentionally, and then in the end come out like, oh yeah. I, so for instance, in Amnesia, um, the first one, uh, if you just you, you can just complete the whole game just running into every monster because every monster will eventually just go away, just teleport, and then they will disappear. So you can very easily uh, get you know get past any obstacle uh, in the game like that. And then when people figure that out, that's obviously a bad way of, of playing it. But then they figure <laughs> that out, and they don't like that experience, and then they like blame us. <laughs> and and I, it's totally understandable, and I think that's fair. But it's still funny that it's like no one, if, no one says like if you're playing Super Mario and run to the left instead of the right, it, you know you're you're gonna yeah you yeah know, yeah you're and say that. You know, this game is not very fun. It's it's <laughs> it's 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 it's, it's uh, why why but but shit, you're you're playing it wrong. Obviously, it's not going to be fun if you try and play it like that. But in a horror game, when people are so eager to perhaps not feel that horror feeling that you're trying to get away from it. Eh? Yeah, no, I I think that um horror games especially draw a lot of uh mechanical criticism like that because um I think that in our in our in our hearts and in our minds it puts them in a more elevated place and i i'm gonna get a little bit psychological here um but i think it has something to do like it's primal like the things in nature that we fear are the things that we also respect in both positives and negatives um it's like you know we we have the the majesty of the lion on the plains but at the end of the day if, if we were like you know sitting in our huts on the plains we heard a lion's roar we would be terrified and i think that yeah uh, once, if you were then to find out that the lion's roar was just a speaker, the use to to keep you afraid, you would be relieved, but you would also be disappointed. You know that the danger that the yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. real. And, and then when, when you're when you're playing a, a video game that terrifies you, and the veil comes down, and you realize that you can just run through, it's the same situation, and you want to blame someone because there's something primal inside you that was like, I was afraid of this, and now I'm not, and it's like. It's almost like a, a masculinity of saving face. You know, you have to be mad because it made you vulnerable. I know I'm getting real deep here, but <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. No, but it's it's interesting how you uh, how people approach with the uh, horror and everything that's uh, frightening and and in a way. And uh, but 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 yeah, but 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 also in in terms of uh, uh, masculinity and so on. Um, it's interesting how it's okay to be scared like you, you can you can normally like the idea especially among young men which is sort of a, a broad strokes stereotype here but but still among young men you don't want to admit you're afraid right that's that's not like like if you're going out in, in, in night and so on you're not going to say that you're afraid of that like oh i can go out alone and so on that's i'm, I'm not afraid but when playing a horror game 
then that sort of thing goes away because then you almost wants to be the person who's most afraid. And it's a very interesting change because it happens on a sort of um, a social uh, level, almost like some sort of theater. Like, like now it's okay to be afraid and then you want to heighten that then instead because you've seen a lot of reaction videos. There's, there's, there's no one doing reaction videos. Like, like there's no one playing amnesia, or at least it's very much more uncommon for people to play amnesia and be like, well, it wasn't scary. I'm such a, you know, I'm <laughs> such an awesome dude and that, that I can play this game without being scared. Very few say that. This is, I've heard very little of it. You know, there's more like, oh, I can't, can only play this for five minutes, then I shit my pants. That's more of the comments that you get for the game. And and, and hearing people like like bragging that they're not scared by it is much less common. Yeah. That there's no real... Um, even social uh, um, cre- credibility, or not credibility, but but social status increase in saying that. That's like, oh, he's an, he's a moron, obviously, for not being scared. Um, yeah. But but then that also goes clashes with the whole optimization behavior and and, and so on. So, so so I think there's almost might be a a sort of um, social pressure or like like a really when playing a horror game, people want to be scared. At the same time, they have their own psyche, which is working against this sort of unpleasant feeling and trying to optimize it away. And then, so you have you have those two systems working against one another, with the player trying to be frightened and so on. And and I think that a lot of uh, one thing that's good now. I'm also going slightly off rails here, but um, with less players and such, is that. Again, let's players have like like again, not especially for let's players, they can't play a horror game and be all like this is not scary. That's gonna be the most boring let's player yeah. ever. They're like picture someone just this this is a boring, this is a boring. Like you can't no one's everyone's gonna stop watching. It's much more fun if someone sneaks around and is is terrified and anxious when playing yes. it. That's really fun watching. So by seeing this let's players that wants to put on a show and they like try and put themselves in the right mood and play the game in the right way and so on that teaches other players how to have a good experience and 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 while i think that like like let's players as just an exposure thing has like been very good for us and other horror developers i think that it might have had an even better effect of just teaching players how you play the game sort of similar to how i think minecraft has like how let's players has had a big influence on people playing minecraft because again minecraft is very open-ended and people go in i don't know what to do but for a let's player there, there's a lot of openness on putting on an act so they teach the player how you can like have fun in the game and the horror yeah. games had a similar although very different experiences you, you like you like brushed over like four different points I wanted to bring up over the course oh, of this okay, interview, which is, which is great. No, 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 it's perfect. It's, it's great because I don't have to like shoehorn it in. Uh, we've had a couple guests where like they just like, how was it like making the game? Good. I'm like, super. <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. But <laughs> no. Um, so okay, fun story about first off the 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 scare the scare cam let's plays and stuff. Um, and in my in my mind. Scarecam Let's Plays is still what I call them, even though now it's just streaming. Like, you know, because <laughs> I'm like that old now that I remember back when it was like re- pre-recorded and stuff. Um, 
But the funny thing is, is that uh, around the time Amnesia came out, I was actually uh, teaching a class at a UC Berkeley, Video Games as an Artistic Medium. And uh, it was basically half art class, half uh, gaming kind of design and theory class. <clears throat> and um, it was it's so funny to talk about now because it was like it was a student talk class that was worth real credits because Berkeley is weird. But uh, the, the the point of the story is that uh, one of the extra credit assignments we did was for people to play Amnesia and record themselves playing it and then take notes as to when their facial expressions changed at various points and then see if it jived with their memories of what was scary. Mm-hmm. And because uh, everyone can remember like the monster coming up, but it's like the, the, a lot of the buildup to that is like the, the like things hearing a piano key or hearing something shuffling in the distance and not knowing what's there. And then, um, but you don't necessarily remember that even though it's integral into building the tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I always feel that it's, it's so weird that, you know, I was doing this in 2010 and, uh, right, right after the game came out. And, um, to think about how that, in, that, that basically experiment, I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm of course not saying I invented, you know, fucking scare cam let's plays. What I'm saying is that, uh, it's interesting to see how that's, that's evolved and that, like that experience of, and I've always wondered when people watch these let's players, the scare time let's players, is it entirely to watch the funny man do the scare things? Because a lot of let's players are hyperbolic, you know, they're, they're a little over the top when it comes yeah. to it. But at the same time, um, the moments where they aren't selling it, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's what we, that's the, the most interesting moments, you know, the moments that we as horror fans kind of live for, for Markiplier, PewDiePie, all those people—they have a character, mm-hmm. but every once in a while, you watch them and it's not, you know. Yeah, yeah it's interesting seeing. I, I think we, we had some uh, reactions from that in uh, Soma as well, which was very interesting of uh, seeing how they like. Wait a minute! Like they were like obviously they they're putting on a show, but then they like that also helps them get into the game, and then all of a sudden they're like, "What the fuck?" And and that's also interesting with uh, um, horror games and so on. Yeah, I, I've I've had um, those sort of feelings where you um, I've had a lot of those my own, or at least fondly remember a few of them. Um, like the earliest when I that I can recall was talking to a friend on the phone and playing the first Resident Evil at the same time. And then I can't recall which one was one of those uh, frog water monsters that jumped out from a corner at me. And I just screamed at him at the phone totally <laughs> by surprise. I'm like, what the fuck? Like this is this because I was casually playing the game and like talking to him at the same time. And then all of a sudden I had this, this sort of, instant of pure terror as because something that i didn't expect happened and 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 it, it, it's quite interesting how those games can affect you silent hill the first one as well uh was also something uh, similar when uh i think there was one of those children there's this child that can't hurt you that starts running around rooms and so on. Okay. And there was one of those moments where i was really freaked out um another one also now was in when you're in the sewers and there's monsters in the ceiling that drop down. And and, and the interesting part, I replay that section um, years later, and like this wasn't that scary, 
but and, and the monsters weren't that hard but it was something about them in the ceiling the environment and me playing in the dark i was terrified of those sections like, like that was like an emotion where i like fuck i i'm not sure how much i can handle of this and those sort of experience sort of things and and similar to what you talked about when you see let's players doing that like the personal and seeing other people those are like the magic moments that you're really trying to get in a game where people are so immersed that they have this overwhelming emotional response that they're not really expecting themselves and 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 and, and i'm very like one of the things that I really love um, from Nisha is actually having some people can't play the game anymore, where they have to take a rest, and and not not just from you know over like epileptic just being pure motion sickness or whatnot, but just from the emotional response that the game gives you, it's like fuck, I can't take this anymore. I'm, I'm just gonna stop playing. And 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 there's a lot of so someone is just interesting, evoking that response in people, and uh, because it feels a, a bit, um, it, it's not just a sheep shot as a, a jump scare, but it's more like you, you get you get someone on a deeper level, and. The whole gaming industry, like especially with mobile games and especially with every game have, having to be 50 hours and have side quests and uh, I don't know what, it just feels refreshing to be making things where I can be, I'm very happy with the less, like people quitting my game, like for the right reason, obviously, but actually going against that trend of, like not being addicting, but almost having game. Like I really want, I really want to play this game, but I'm having a hard time doing it. Uh-huh. Um, and and I think that's a. I really love that thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, no, I mean first. that's interesting. Yeah. I'm just thinking about that. That's really cool. And it's, it kind of brings me. This is great because it, it once again kind of brings me to my next point, which is um, you know, a game that I had trouble beating was Soma. And uh, not because necessarily that it was um, too scary. I mean, I... So, oh, I forgot to bring this up before, but, like, it's it's one of the reasons I never stream is that it's not terribly interesting to watch me play games because uh, I'm a a reviewer. And, um, like, I have a notepad when I'm working. Yeah. And so it's, like, a very effective scare at this moment right here. I walked around the corner, and there was yeah. a monster. Well done. But, like, when you watch me do it, it's like I'm I'm working, you know? So it's not, like, fun, because I don't, like, jump around. I'm not entertaining. But, um, you know, I do get scared. But Soma is one of those games that it, it made me... It was it was like a, it, it hit on something deep and existential. And it's it might it, I might be the only person on the planet that it hit this way. But uh, you know, when I was um, when I when I was younger, um, as many young men that have too much time to think about things do, I, I began to think about to ideate on uh, immortality and the future, and you know what to the, yeah. When you're really young, you don't like really understand that you're gonna die someday, you know. Um, and then you get to a certain point where you do realize that, like you get a little bit older, maybe yeah. in your early twenties. Um, you have one of your first friends that. Uh, overdoses or gets in a drunk driving accident, and then you realize that someday you will to perish from this earth. And th- and when that when you realize that, your first reaction is to rationalize and to try to figure out 
what is going to actually happen to you when you die. And a lot of people, they, they, I, I'm not religious. So, uh, that wasn't really an answer for me, but then the, the kind of the techno utopia answer is that we're all going to upload our brains into computers someday. Mm. And that's a lot of people not only say that in like kind of the Star Trek idea of the sci-fi future that we all hope and dream for, but they genuinely believe that that is what's in the future. So, yeah. uh, a long time ago I was researching how that would actually happen. A lot of this, oh, brain scans and copying your brain patterns. And I was like, that sounds so cool. I mean, I'm going to live in the computer forever someday. And, and eventually I, I realized I was, I think I was watching an episode of, I was very drunk back then, so I don't quite remember, but uh, yeah, it's amazing how often uh, excessive consumption of alcohol and thinking too much about stupid bullshit go hand in hand. But anyways, uh, I, I was something about clones and um, I realized that if I had a clone, that clone would think it was me, but I would still think I was me. So if I made a healthy clone of myself, I remember I was reading a comic book called Invincible, um, where a character creates a clone of himself and transfers his brain, but it's not a transfer. And so his clone has to kill the original version of himself because the original version of his body was deformed. And the clone was saying, but like, you're still going to die. Like, it doesn't matter if you still exist to the greater world. You know, this clone outside, if we made a Thomas Grip clone right now, it would be for all intents and purposes outside of you, you. But you wouldn't see that. You know, you internally, your 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 human core would still feel as though if you were to be eliminated, you would die, even if there's a backup right next to you. And that's when I realized that this whole idea of the brain scan was like, you know, kind of regardless of if someday I get to upload my brain into a computer to make it so that a, a version of me would exist in perpetuity, I still die. And that's deeply fundamentally terrifying. But it's one of those deeply fundamentally terrifying things that our brains rack themselves to justify because it doesn't quite make sense because then then what am i am i just the culmination of my experiences am i the the me that exists in this body right now if i am just am i the sense of self just a rationalization to give myself purpose in the face of the fact that i will someday die and and soma tackles these these questions in a way that I, I was like, when I realized that that's where they were going with it, it was like, oh shit, like, this is like a discussion so often not had because people would prefer to leave the discussion at something more basic because it doesn't threaten our, our sense of continuity of self in the same way. They want to leave the conversation that we all go to heaven or that heroes live forever in legends or something like that. Some kind of nice, uh, uh, kind of, um, platitude. To, 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 to soothe the soul from that primal fear of death. And uh, Soma does not leave off that way. Uh, it, it actually leads off the, the completely opposite. And I loved that about it. Um, and I just kind of wanted to know why it is that you guys decided to go with this topic. Um, also, kind of the reactions that you got. And um, it, yeah, I just I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So, 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 I, I could talk for this for, for a very long time. So I'm going to try and <laughs> keep myself short here. So, uh, so I actually have time to finish this interview. Um, but, um, yeah, it's very really fun to be reacted. So, and, and with this thinking and, uh, I, I've had like not the same as you, but the thought in similar manners on. And I remember there was, I think there was one book, Permutation City by Greg Agan that just 
I have been thinking about the reality and copies and consciousness and whatnot for a long time. And that just hit home on all of those questions and then dug deeper than I would have, you know, I had on my own. And and that experience was just like, fuck. Again, that's, as I said about earlier, one of those deeper uh, experiences, uh, emotional responses and uh, that I hadn't had, don't have a lot of those. Uh, from from uh, novels and films and so on. And I was very taken by it, and I felt like, well, I wanted to make a game about this because I think that th- this sort of first-person nature of a game where you are the character can be very interesting in getting this across. It's, like, it's not like you're reading about the character doing something. You're actually experiencing yourself doing it. And the, the whole idea then with, with Soma... And I think this is what turned out really, really well with it was that it's not a story that has a twist as such. Like it's not, um, like me and names, the, the, the game with the two, the, the movie with the two magicians, can't recall which the Christopher Nolan movie, never oh, the mind. Prestige. Yeah, Prestige, yeah. Um, which is, which is a similar setup story wise, but is very reliant on a twist in the end. So what I want to do with someone instead is that all cards on the table and just explore this as deeply as possible. Like what are the ramifications? If we do this, if we do this, like what happens and sort of, and just take that as far as we possibly can. And, and that was the, the sort of gist of it. And, 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 and what happens then is that so for some people, they don't get it at all. They, 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 they reject the premise, which I've seen a few doing it. Um, but those that, that can take the premise and just go along with it um, have very different responses, um, yeah. depending on what you said, what you're thinking about. And we have everything from people saying, oh, this is the most depressive game I've ever played and like I've been sad for several weeks now to other ones saying like oh wow this is the most uplifting experience I've had in my whole life and you know my favorite is a guy mailing us saying I because I played your game I'm gonna go to the states and propose to my girlfriend and so so it's 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 very different in the response that it generates and I think that's like one of the things that turned out really well and the reason for is it's not that we're trying to like we don't have an agenda as such like the, it's more like here's the subject matter we explore it and then you have to draw your own conclusions from it so. yeah and what i love about what you said about there not being some twist it's almost like you wish there is a twist you know by the cards being laid out so starkly and so direly in front of you 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 do wish that there is some kind of twist, but there's not. No, no, and the ending, which some say is a twist ending, is really just it's an obvious like thing from what you know about the game. Like the game has been telling you that this may occur all along, yeah. but, but then uh, yeah. Um, sorry, my time is sort of running out here as well. I hear my kids. It's all good. It's all good. Stuff. Um, we haven't talked too much about rebirth. I'm guessing if you have no, I mean I will, I will, I will, we'll we'll get into that in just a minute here, and then we'll yeah. wrap up. But uh, you know, I just want to one more thing uh, I wanted yeah, to sure. say about Soma is that um, I, I think it really speaks to the quality of your design that people cannot get it and still enjoy the game. You know? <laughs> Yay! Um, but, but you can get it. I think you can get it on many levels. Some were just right. like, this is some interesting concept for all this thought uh, deeply about it. So it's very interesting in seeing reactions yeah. and how people 
people responded to it and, and yeah and so and i never yeah. i never want to say that someone is wrong for getting it on a different level than i did because that's just so arrogant <laughs> But but, but, uh, but there are totally people that, that get things wrong in the, even though yeah like there isn't um, even though you know it's, it's, it's the, the audience like has to, it makes this sort of piece their own in a way so, so you, you should, should never you say should. that someone is wrong but, yeah. but but people can totally be wrong in how things work and so on yeah and, I, but, I, but I, so when most people get it. it's like people are very smart about it I'm very surprised by how good people do get it that people that actually bring up things that we were like wow that we didn't thought about that well like that's a very <laughs> interesting point and that we, we should we should have tried and dug a little deeper in that concept as well so it was really fun reading everyone's comments on it you should sell a 500 hundred dollar collector's edition that comes with a little certificate that says you got it and you were right yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but this real quick amnesia rebirth not real quick i mean as, as much time as we can amnesia yeah. rebirth what what can people expect from it now that they've played Amnesia, now that they played Soma? What's really the next step for fictional yeah, students with Amnesia so, Rebirth? So, so next step for us is, at one, we're, Amnesia had this sort of uh, revolutionizing, or it has that sort of revolutionized uh, horror sort of stamp on it. And we're not going to like live up to that in the same way. We can't like figure out how to do running around from monster mechanics or something like it that's going to feel as 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 new as that so what we're aiming for instead is to mix a little bit from what we did in soma and then take that inside the amnesia formula so in in the sort of basic level things are going to be quite similar to amnesia we were trying to like up the ante on as much a thing as possible. As I said before, if, if we're going to have the same gameplay, it would be extremely disappointing. So we changed everything and made it fresh, like thought about like what people would expect from a horror game, tried to ex twist those expectations and so on. Um, but what I really think or think that the game is going to really shine is on a higher level. Now with Soma, one of the big risks that we did took with that game was that, well, we can't have just 10 minutes of gameplay in Soma and, 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 you know, people understanding the experience from that. You have to play a few hours in order, you know, for you to digest all the information to really get what the game is about. And we're doing a similar thing with Amnesia Rebirth, where there's going to be very much horror on a like moment to moment basis. There's going to be monsters lurking in the shadows and so on and spooky sounds and weird uh, scenes and uh, whatnot. But uh, I think the deep and the sort of, you know, as I said, the sort of really deep emotional response that we're after in the end, that's going to feel as good as, as we possibly can. It's not going to be like, revolutionary in terms of the gameplay mechanics used, but I think it's going to feel quite fresh to a lot of people. We'll put a lot of effort into making the gameplay varied, into twisting expectations and so on. But where I think it's going to really shine is going to be on this higher level where we're really aiming to get this more deeper emotional response. But that's going to be something that takes like a few hours before that manifests to the player. And that's something that we learned from Soma where we took a lot of risks with the uh, 
with, with Soma where you couldn't explain or really experience the game from just playing 10 minutes of it. You had to play a much longer over a much longer time period. We're doing a similar thing with uh, um, Amnesia Rebirth. So it's going to be a bit of a mashup between the two games, like the Amnesia's uh, gameplay and monsters and so on, together with uh, um, Soma storytelling that's on a more higher level and takes like this sort of more slow burning approach to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I that sounds really great. <laughs> I'm uh, excited to, to see that because, uh, you know, with Amnesia, you had a relatively robust story, but it was totally within the confines of what you could actually show. And now that you have more, uh, I'm guessing you have more money now than you did when you made Amnesia. <laughs> yeah, 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 hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a bit more. Uh, to see the evolution from Amnesia to Soma and not expecting the evolution I saw, you know, like not expecting the level of polish more in Soma. I, I'm excited to see what we're going to see in Amnesia Rebirth because in my brain, in my mind palace, Amnesia is always going to be, you know, uh, textures that are a little bit off and like uh, clicking and dragging doors and like sometimes them getting stuck on things and like no, not knowing why. We we have even updated the interaction system from uh, from from Soma as well, so uh, um, it should feel smoother. That's something that's interesting. We've had that same damn interaction mechanics now for ever since Penumbra, even before Penumbra, when we made this sort of tech demo that then became Penumbra, um, and we, we constantly uh, evolved that system. And now it's the the next part of it. It's it's, it's really tricky to get that uh, feeling right. So well, it was you, like the original it for each game. It was like the original VR because it was yeah, all yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 you know, one slightly tempted to do things in VR, but there's also, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not all good. It comes with other limitations instead. But, but I like the, I, I like the idea of the, the VR thing is where you just can pick up everything and uh, mess with it and so on. But yeah, it's that old school of poor man's VR experience. Uh, uh, so when Amnesia is going to have a large existing fan base. Yeah. But if people haven't played the previous ones, do they have to to understand what's going on in Amnesia Rebirth? No, not really. There there's going to be uh, there there's going to be some story connections, quite a few actually, but it's not like you, you won't understand anything. It's just that if you know these characters from before, it might be added depth to it all. Um, or if you know about the places and and so on because you're going to visit some of the places that are mentioned in um The Dark Descent. So, um, but but it's not like you need to play it or anything. Yeah, um, it, it's a totally uh, standalone experience. Uh, so does does Machine for Pigs fit into the storyline anywhere? Not really. Yeah, we, we haven't really based around that. Like a Machine for Pigs is doesn't really it has extremely few connections with Dark Descent. Um, so it would be really weird to try and to to have more from that. It's also not really our story. So it felt weird to take too much from that. Um, so no, it's it's not not really any connections to Machine for Pigs. Well, it's just because I think that um, because you guys with Machine for Pigs did go with an entirely uh, well, you know, the Chinese room technically, yeah. but you guys published it, so um, it's like 
you know, who owns what. But, uh, you know, Cuz Machine for Biggs went for, with a completely different storyline. Uh, I think that there's like some kind of expectation that Amnesia, every title, is going to be completely disconnected and new and a new story. Um, but you're saying that's not the case, that this is... No, it's, it's, it's much more connected to The Dark Descent than uh, Machine for Pigs was with The Dark Descent. But it's still going to be a very like new storyline. It's not just going to be like taking off from where The Dark Descent ended or anything like that. It's just going to be that certain concepts and things and characters that you met in um, the that you came across in Dark Descent are going to be you know yeah. return a bit but but that's more like i'm not sure if there's a um but but it's sort of like you know the the cthulhu mythos in lovecraft right. there's dimensions of places and so on and the more of the books you read the more you understand about the background so i'd, I'd say it, it's it's a bit more like that it's a persistent universe it's kind of like uh the stephen king thing where it's like all of his books like technically there's intertwining characters and multiple yeah no, it's 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 stronger than that, I'd say, but but still, yeah, it's, it's similar to that. Yeah. Um. So I like I guess the, the 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 real big question, probably on a lot of fans' minds, is going to be with the, with the monster design. You know, like you had such a terrifying visage with the the care the, the the monster, the amnesia monster that everyone remembers as the amnesia monster. You know. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you top that? Well, you, you, I, I think that I'm, I, I'm not, I think that's one of the things that we're not trying to do in this game, because I, that's something that we did with Soma was like, I was constantly thinking, Oh, everyone liked this in Amnesia. How are we going to top it? How are we going to top this? Is this going to be like, I, I remember myself thinking, Oh, here I might have the next water lurker moment and stuff like that. And that really hasn't been a thinking and doing rebirth. Like it's more like, okay, what are the storyline we're making? What's the narrative we want to tell? What things are going to be best for that narrative? And then if that is, is something that, is, you know, for some people feel are going to be better than Dark Descent and so on, it, it almost feels irrelevant irrelevant uh, to us in, in making the game so obviously we want things to be better but the, the, the all attention is just making this game on its own the best experience possible and um, that said also when it comes to monster design and so on it's very interesting subject um, because monsters in general in order to get a really good monsters you want something that looks a bit human but with some unsettling twist to it that's that's the ultimate monsters in most cases if you do something that's just a blob crawling around that's not going to be as scary because there's no you don't recognize it as something else you you, you want something close to human is usually what's most interesting yeah and then that narrows and that's something that we try to do and that narrows down like <laughs> what you can and cannot do quite a bit so we've tried to make sure that we have this sort of something that feels slightly human and then something that's off with it and trying to take that as uh, as, as as far as we can and make something that is really spooky and so on so but but a lot of these things is also like again it's not just that you sit down and like shit we're going to design a scary monster but sit down 
these are the sort of environments we want the monster in. These are the sort of actions the monster needs to take. These are the sort of narrative connections that the monster has storyline-wise. And these are the thematic bits that we want the monster to get across. So, so there's a lot of things that needs to come together. And I think that, that a really good monster is when all of those things click. Like you can have a very scary monster that looks visually very, very unsettling. But if you lack all of the narrative, gameplay bits, and so on, that's not going to last very long. So you you have to make sure all of those other pieces are in place as well. So so that's so that's why I think that's constantly thinking about how we're going to top this. This is better than Dark Descent is not really helping us, or you know, uh, making sure that the game's quality is the top. But the the, the the main priority is just what is the most fitting for the experience we want the player to have, uh, and just making sure that the monster is optimized for that. Yeah. Well, that being said, you can't be unaware that the expectations are going to be high. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But 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 I, I I'm honestly, for for me personally. I had a lot of stress over expectations with Soma, and that was five years of just being worried about that uh, in terms of expectations, because that felt like our follow-up, and I, I wanted that to be. I remember a ton of reviews also saying something like in the first sentence, well, the most important thing is obviously, is this the scariest Dark Descent? And then saying, like, perhaps no, or something like that. And... And that was really annoying because the game was never meant to be a Dark Descent. But, you know, obviously during development, we worried a ton about this. We did a lot of the PR with the creators of Dark Descent and so on. And and now it's like, so I'm done worrying. I, I'm not stressed out about this fact. I just want to make the game as it is, as good as uh, possible. And then, you know that that has to be it. It's it's very. I think it's really really hard to uh, um, to be to be like caught up in be- like like making something better than something else. I'm not think. I don't think that's like a healthy mindset to have unless there's some very like if you're making some. <laughs> I don't know. Um, if, if you're making some very simple product, like if you make light bulbs, so I want my new right. light bulbs to be better and so on. But if, if it's something like an emotional experience, I think the key is to um, hone in on the emotional journey that you want players to experience and make sure that you really nail that. Well, I think that there's also a benefit to trying to evolve. Like you can't, you it's it, there's a balance, you know. Like yeah, yeah, but, but evolving, better, yeah. I think that it's more, like, I'm more concerned, honestly, with people feeling that, well, this is the same game. Like, I'm, because it's a horror game, so it's not, if you were making a shooter or something like that, then it would have been perhaps very important that, oh, the shooting feels similar, that, uh, like, you want to make sure that people come into it feeling familiar with it, so, but with a horror game, if people feel like everything's the same as the previous game, they're not going to be scared anymore. They're not going to have that sense of the unknown awaiting them. They're going to be, you know, so, so you want you want a good balance of that. You want it to feel like an amnesia game. You want it to have similar mechanics, but you also want players to come in and sh- say, shit. This feels different. I'm, I don't know what the hell to expect at this point. So that has been more of a driving point to make sure that people come in there and feel like it's, it's something new and fresh and something where they're not sure what we might be lurking around the next quarter. No. And then 
you know, kind of to your, your your journey through the industry, when you first started this uh, company, what is it, 15 years ago? Yeah, no, this is a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was like you and I think it was Jens Nilsson is his name, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, You know, you didn't know that 15 years later you'd be sitting here on 25-person company making Amnesia Rebirth. You never have any idea. You know, no, no, no. I didn't know we it. were going to like make any money out of it. It, it yeah. was a weird thing of doing. Like, I w- it was more like even like, let's, let's see how long this can last. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, the purpose, one of the big purposes of this podcast, of the Real Professional Podcast, is uh, I to ask you know people how they got to where they are, to give advice to the people that yeah are young listening and thinking i want to be the guy that makes the next amnesia which is a dream plenty of plenty of creators have had you know um so what advice would you have to give to some uh person who's listening right now and thinking god i really wish that i could put the horror project of my dream out in the world but no one's going to play it no one's going to like it it's only me and my friend you know what what would you have to say to to them on how to get to where you are now yeah, it's a good question. The, the The environment is so different from when I, I started out. But I mean, it's 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 both like there's a lot of more people making games and so on. But there's also like proper engines to use and stores to sell your game. And there's a whole ecosystem out there of doing it. But but I think that the the real core experience, the or, or the core thing is playing like doing things um that's what you, what do you say that's using your resources and using what you're good at and um, like you shouldn't try and copy a game like mm-hmm. straight on because because if that game had 20 people working on it and you have you, you it's you and, and your friend working on this game it's going to be very hard to make something exactly like it and then make it better and like and something feels fresh. So, so just going in there and, and, and there was one time, I saw some developer making, there was like three circles or something like that. You should make something, um, that, 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 you know, only you can make that you're good at making and that people want to play. And so, so, so that sort of cross section where, you know, it's something that you can make. And or it's something where, you know, this is something that's uniquely me. And then, you know, there might actually be people who want to play this. And I think that's where, where we want to be going. And, 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 and from horror wise, I think that the important thing is not thinking about that gameplay as much, but thinking about, okay, what's the feeling that I want to get across here? Is there a movie I want to emulate and, and so on and uh, trying to, to do something uh, like like that? I think that's the sort of key you, you, you want to strive for. Um, and, uh, and, and like this is an interesting feeling that I think people would be interested in, uh, in, in playing and then just uh, going for that. Uh, um, so, 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 for instance, one horror game that I like a lot um, is I think it's Stories Untold, where uh-huh. uh, the first oh, yeah, one you're sitting game. in your room typing a text adventure, and things happen in the background. It was really creepy, 
and yeah. uh, you know, so t- things you do in text it happens actually is a very like low budget um, thingy maze over a over a game jam. They made it into the longer game with several um, yep. like episodes later on. But but I think that's the sort of thing you want you want to aim for. And and what's cool about um, horror games is that you can make fairly short experiences that still feel worthwhile. And I think that's something again don't aim for making a 20 hour horror game your first one but aim to make like a half an hour with a real punch and then if people like that you might want to expand on that uh, and then yeah obviously there's a lot of other things uh, um but, but i think that, that that sticking to trying to have a feeling and also sticking to the, like embracing your limits like i'm a small team i can do this and that and not trying to involve too many parties but just thinking what if, if you're like you and a friend who is very tight and developers and then the thinking is what can we do together what are our strong points and just aiming for that instead of basing the game around animations when none of you can do animations then like skip animations that's sort of what we did in in in, in uh, the phenomena games was like we can't do animations our animation we don't really have an animator so we, we need to make sure that you know opening doors you can't see the player's arm or anything like that and you know then we use physics and that work to our advantage yeah yeah no i i um <clears throat> i'm really excited to see what happens with uh you know uh amnesia rebirth because each each frictional game that i've played has surprised me a different way i mean i think when you first play penumbra sorry when you first play penumbra mm-hmm. playing penumbra when it first came out <laughs> is is an experience you can't really forget because uh, it is so unique um and i don't always mean unique in the sense that it's super high it's like the best game i've ever played um i'm not trying to insult it i'm just saying that like Sometimes you have to do things that aren't perfect in order to push yeah, yeah. something creative forward. I think that's also very. We talked about that early on uh, um, in the interview. How you know a lot of these sort of big things, um, the Mountain Blade and uh, the Witcher, started out as this far from perfect experiences. Other other things that people like is. Uh, what's pathologic for instance uh, which right. is also very and i think that's where you really want to like, like try out it's much better to have in horror i think especially this is obviously you want to aim for polish but uh, and and having a high production like like quality feeling to the game but it might be worth like just going a little bit out of bounds and like shit this system is not perhaps you know, this is unexplored territory that yeah. we're here a bit, and it's it's not going to turn out perfect. And then just, you know, leaving it at that, at that, then I think that's that's pretty cool. People are all, are very. Uh, you think that people are going to be harsh when you release things on 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 that level, but if there's something, especially with games, if there's some like point for them to like, I really love this aspect of your game. They can forgive a lot of the rough edges because of that. Um, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of rough edges for, for giving <laughs> to, to be sure. And uh, so, so you have to, you have to sort of, you know, again, I think that's one of the sort of fine lines to thread where you like, like, Hey, we just leave the speed. This is actually good enough. And this is not what we want to focus on. And instead, like just pushing the experience in this direction instead. Yeah. Horror games is also interesting in that you, you have to sometimes, um, 
like if you make it too polished, you're like you're like polishing away what makes the game interesting, and, and you know the 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 frightness. So some typical example is that if you make environments too easy to navigate, the claustrophobia is going to go away. Like if you make like Half Life Two like design, which is excellent design, it's very easy to navigate and have tons of signposts and where to go and so on but that also makes the environment artificial and it's gonna like decrease the uncertainty yeah. and other those uh, feelings that make a game good and then a lot of the horror games that have been very successful i think for instance the first slender game is really rough around the edges and the gameplay not really working all that good and all of that is working in the favor of the game so this is not so the sort of bad things about the game or actually in, uh, you know, adventures. The Five Nights at Freddy's, I think, has very similar things where, like, yeah. camera system is pretty bad and whatnot. But it, but it's all, it's all in the end, all of those things are good. Horror movies, this is a sim- similar things. Shaky cameras, um, you know, can't, can't show the monster because we don't have a budget for it. And, <laughs> what, yeah. and, and, and in the end, that's sort of what, what makes, uh, what makes this so good. You know, I, I think that uh, with that, um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else I want to ask because I, I got to ask you a lot of the questions I want. I mean, of course, I could sit here and talk about horror designing games for hours and hours and hours. I really um, need to leave in like two minutes. Sorry about that. I know. That, but I, I know. I get it. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad that you took so much time to talk to us, man. I really yeah, it was really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Um. And you know, just just a few quick things uh, so that people know where to find it. Um. Do what? Do we have a set hard release date for Amnesia Rebirth yet? Nope, no set hard release date. But you're gonna find you. you, you there's a Steam page that you can get in wish list, and then you're gonna get an email once there is a release date. So <laughs> yeah. um, you can do that. It's gonna be on PS4 as well. But it's it's coming sometime this year. Sometime this year, and yeah, uh, you know, can go wishlist it. And if they want to follow you on Twitter or anything like that, is there a yeah, place they can follow games, you? Yeah, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, yeah, whatnot. The site is uh, uh, yeah, frictionalgames.com. You can go into or uh, amnesiarebirth.com should work as well. Okay, well, Thomas, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. It's nice being here. Yeah, and if if you guys listening at home want to pick up any of the previous frictional games they all still hold up i mean they're not one of those games that you're going to play and say why did people ever like this uh and you don't have to be a hundred years old like me to appreciate the cultural context they're still scary even uh even if the graphics are a little rough around the edges um and uh i i think that they're also like reasonably priced now i'm trying i'm like looking up how much soma is uh yeah 30 bucks yeah that's a that's a that's a good price for that um and so, yeah, support good horror. If you, ha- I mean, obviously, I-, I think that probably anyone listening to this has probably already played both of the games. They're such cultural icons at this point uh, for the horror space. Um, so go ahead and pick them up if you haven't, though. Um, and then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at DreadXP. Uh, and then just check out the website. And there's a lot of previous podcasts we have that a lot of people here that are listening now would be interested in. Uh, last week, we talked to the the developer behind Gone Viral, who also worked on a number of MMOs like Wildstar and uh, Asheron's Call. God, how old am I? And uh, also, you know, the, before that, we had Airdorf on to talk about Faith. 
And uh, if you also really like this style of horror game, check out episode one where we talked to the narrative director from uh, Blue Root Team about Blair Witch. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff if you guys like it. So go ahead and check out our previous episodes. And um, we got a lot of really cool ones coming up. I'm looking at my slate. I can't quite announce it yet, but we got a lot of really cool stuff coming up. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, bye. Then we cut. All right. Okay. Well, coming up on our panel discussion, I'll be joined by Trinity's founder and host Rick Rawls and, of course, Trinity's correspondent Edward Zoll. We'll be talking about a global battle that's coming. Are you ready for it? It's a world order showdown. Will nations have to choose which world order they'll support? Stay with us. But first, let's take a break for a word from our sponsor, the Holy Bible. <laughs> 